Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Would you please be seated? Well, this person perhaps needs no introduction, but just in case you don't know him, let me, let me introduce to you our guest preacher, uh, the Reverend Dr. Rob Sturdy. We are thoroughly blessed to have him be our preacher here today. He's preached here on several occasions in the past, and we're looking forward to having him do it on a regular basis going forward. But Rob serves currently as the chaplain to St. Albans Chapel at the Citadel and uh, is a very gifted preacher, a good guy all around, a big Willie Nelson fan, and uh, uh, more importantly, he is the husband uh, to Stephanie and the father to David and Genevieve and a brother in Christ. And so would you welcome this, our guest preacher, Rob Sturdy. Thank you for being here. Good morning, everyone. We have um, a long, complex reading. And it's Trinity Sunday, which even the best Christian theologians admit at the end of the day is is really a mystery. And I don't know you very well, and you don't know me very well. So we have a lot to overcome this morning, I think. So I have a very simple prayer that we can all pray to help us overcome these things. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us. Send the Spirit to help us and to bear witness to the love of the Father and the glory of Jesus and the privilege of being in communion with you and one another. We need your help, and we ask for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I had a dream which was not at all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished and the stars did wander, darkling in the eternal space. Rayless and pathless and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went and came and brought no day. And men forgot their passions in the dread of this their desolation and all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer for light. You might recognize the opening lines of George Gordon Byron's, Lord Byron's apocalyptic poem, Darkness. Lord Byron wrote the poem in 1816, a year that has come to be known as the year without a summer. The prior year, the Indonesian stratovolcano Mount Tambora had erupted, and the eruption cast enough sulfur into the sky to plunge the entire world into a 12-month-long, wintry, global darkness. The mood's captured really well, by the way, uh, by Caspar David Friedrich, a German romantic landscape painter. Two Men by the Sea is the name of the painting. Depicts two men draped in darkness, looking out into a hazy abyss, straining for a glimpse of sunbeams. And their hearts, I'm certain of it, in the words of Lord Byron, were chilled into a selfish prayer for light. I imagine Nicodemus, the man in our reading from John's Gospel, to be equally chilled. 
After all, John tells us Nicodemus did not approach Jesus during the day, but rather this man came to Jesus by night. What did he come in the night seeking? Well, he came seeking Jesus, who John will say in the first chapter of his gospel is the light of men. The light, he says, shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot put it out. In the middle of the night, Nicodemus came before Jesus of Nazareth with a selfish prayer for light. And over the course of a conversation, that prayer was answered. This conversation is what I'd like to talk with you about this morning. I'll be reading from John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse, if you want to follow along. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one's born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night and there are many reasons he may have done so. Perhaps Nicodemus had too many questions about Jesus and the signs he had performed to go to sleep that night and unable to stand the curiosity, gets up out of his bed and seeks Jesus out in the darkness. Maybe Nicodemus had questions that couldn't be answered in the daytime. What I mean by that is that Jesus was, after all, and remains a pretty controversial figure. And Nicodemus couldn't be seen indulging his curiosity in Jesus without putting his life at risk. So to avoid being seen with Jesus in the day, he travels at night. Whatever the case may be, there are good reasons to believe that Nicodemus' midnight conversation with Jesus had a deeper spiritual meaning than even Nicodemus could have been aware of. For John, both in his gospel as well as his letters, Nighttime and darkness are richly symbolic. They can represent ignorance or guilt or evil. But a theme that I find many commentators overlook is that for John, darkness also represents a condition of separation and broken communion with God. For example, in one of his letters, John is going to write that God is light, that in him there is no darkness at all. Therefore... Those who walk in darkness, he says, cannot have fellowship with God. Walking in darkness is a metaphor for John, not only of ignorance and guilt and evil, but of a fractured relationship with what? A fractured relationship with the light. And this fractured relationship with the light, with God, has consequences not only for how we relate to God, but it has consequences for how we relate to one another. Byron's poem has a moving sequence where the men plunged into the apocalyptic darkness create artificial light by burning everything they can find simply to look into one another's faces. In his own words, and they did live by watchfires. The thrones, the palaces of crowned kings, the huts, the habitations of all things which dwell were burnt for beacons. Cities were consumed and men were gathered around their blazing homes. 
to look once more into each other's faces. Without light, we are plunged into darkness. And plunged into darkness, we cannot look into one another's faces. It's a useful metaphor for understanding John's important insight. Deprived of a relationship with God, we are ultimately deprived of a relationship with one another. Deprived of a relationship with light, I not only lose the light, but I lose you too. I cannot see you in the darkness. And if I cannot see you, I'm left to myself. All alone. Being left to oneself, lonely in the dark, is an apt description for the way a lot of modern people feel but don't like to talk about. It was estimated that 61% of Americans before the pandemic reported feeling chronically lonely. I can only imagine those numbers have climbed upwards since our season of masks and distancing and quarantine. The loneliness of modern people, by the way, isn't limited merely to being lonely for one another, but there is a growing permission, and I think it's important to say permission, amongst secular people, people with a reasoned opposition to belief in God. There's a growing permission, even amongst them, to admit that we're spiritually lonely as well. Here's Julian Barnes, the winner of the Man Booker Prize in 2011 for his really wonderful book called The Sense of an Ending. It's the opening lines. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. It's the equivalent of something I've heard many of the college students say that I work with. I don't believe in what you have to say about God, but I wish I did. So our sense of loneliness is pervasive. It cannot be helped by the fractured nature of our society. Our faces have been collectively darkened by a number of forces beyond our control that make it very hard to see one another as fellow human beings, worthy of friendship and love rather than as enemies to be overcome. Our never-ending culture wars here in America and our actual wars overseas remind us human relationships are very fragile things. And perpetual conflict with brief moments of friendship and communion might actually be our desperate norm. Lord Byron tackles this problem as well in the poem. This problem of human enmity the last two men on earth find one another. And they strike a fire to gaze into one another's face to put an end to the pervasive sense of loneliness. And it's only once the fire catches and their faces are lit that they discover they are lifelong enemies and they die of shock. The darkness that killed those two is a more difficult darkness that comes not from without, but from within. As Jesus said in a different gospel, how great is that darkness? Here we come a little closer to understanding why Jesus insists that Nicodemus 
who came to Jesus by night must be born again as a creature of the day. He must be made new as a creature who is in relationship with the lights and thus given the possibility of being in relationship with others because he can see them. This work cannot be done by Nicodemus because Nicodemus is a man stumbling about in the darkness. I don't know if you've ever noticed that the conversation is very strange. What must I do to be born again? And Jesus says, I don't know. The wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. Amen. (laughs) Jesus intentionally prevents any option of Nicodemus going to work on his big problem because Nicodemus cannot go to work on his big problem. In the same gospel, Jesus said, Work the work of him who sent me by day. Why is it so important to work in the daytime? Night is coming, Jesus says, when no one can work. No one can work at nighttime. And guess who is experiencing a lifelong nighttime? Nicodemus. No one can work at nighttime. Nicodemus cannot do the work that needs to be done to solve his big problem. But there is one who can work. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, wrote John in one of his letters to the churches. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. What's it mean? It means it is never nighttime for God. He has never stumbled about in the darkness, nor does he need artificial light like the desperate people in Lord Byron's poem. He is his own light. God never comes to you at night because there is no nighttime for God. He is all light. And therefore God can see. God can see because he is his own light. And he can do his own work. Not necessarily good news to those of us stumbling around in the darkness. In this very same conversation with Nicodemus, it's not in our reading today, but it's in this very same conversation, Jesus will say, light has come into the world, but men love the darkness. Why did they love the darkness? Because their deeds were evil. And here's another reason for our loneliness. There are things that I do that I wish I did not do. There are thoughts that I think that I wish I did not think. I spend an enormous amount of energy making sure you cannot see the things that I do that I wish I did not do. And I spend, I spend an enormous amount of... See, if you came here this morning and you were worried that the preacher was going to beat you over the head with this book, I'm going to beat myself over the head for a minute. I spend an enormous amount of energy making sure you are unaware of the things that I think that I'm ashamed of. And that I feel guilty about. And so there's a part of my life that needs to be in the darkness. I don't want you to see it. I don't want to see it. But it also means there's a huge part of my life that is unknown to you. And that's what makes me lonely, you see. 
There's a part of us that we keep from others, from shame and for fear. If others saw it, we would be rejected. But Jesus tells us such things cannot be kept from God. God is his own light, and that means he can see into the dark crevasses and caverns of my soul all the way in. So the question you might want to ask is this. If God is his own light and he can see the things hidden in the dark places, things that no one else can see, what might his attitude be towards us? What might his attitude be towards me? After all, I keep these things hidden because I know that if you knew, you would not accept me. Not just as a priest, but as a friend. At least that's what I'm afraid of. And so to some extent we keep these things hidden because at the end of the day we don't accept ourselves. What about God? Well, the great surprise of the passage, and it is the great surprise of the entire Christian faith that makes it unique among the world's religions is this. God sees us for what we are, what we really are. Even the things we wish we could keep forever hidden in the dark, God sees all of it. And this passage tells me that he loves us. He sees everything, and he loves us. God so loved the world. Jesus tells Nicodemus towards the end of the reading that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We are in the Bible Belt. Did you know that? I have heard the gospel presented in this part of the country like this. God cannot love you and does not love you. But if you put your faith in Jesus, Jesus' sacrifice and blood will make you lovable. That is a magnificent perversion of this passage. You understand what I'm saying? God sees everything. He is his own light. And he so loved the world as he saw it. And sent his only son. It is a precious sacrificial gift of love. Given to people who wish to remain hidden in the dark. People like Nicodemus. Are nevertheless fully known and fully loved. By the light of the world. He who is without end or beginning, infinite greatness, wrote the early church father John Chrysostom, loved those who were of earth and ashes, creatures laden with sins innumerable, and the act which springs from the love he continued is equally indicative of its vastness. For God gave not a servant or an angel or an archangel, but his son. Again, had he had many sons and given one, this would have been a very great gift. But he only has one. I spend a lot of time wondering how this is possible. That God knowing us fully, even in the darkest and loneliest places of our lives, still chooses to love. It might sound a bit scandalous, 
But let me suggest that God is able to love what we consider unlovable, the man who comes at night because he has had an awful lot of practice. Today we celebrate Trinity Sunday. It is an understanding of God that is unique to Christianity. This understanding confesses something Christians openly admit is mysterious and hard to understand. Nevertheless, must be stated, we worship one God. And this one God exists in three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Early Christians depicted this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in devotional paintings called icons. Sometimes they were depicted as three persons holding hands in a vibrant and joyful dance. Look it up. Not right now. Unless you're bored, then look it up. I have a few minutes left. Most often, though, the three were depicted as friends sharing a meal at a table, a small table, where they could see each other. So if the Christians are right, then God is not a solitary being. He has spent eternity in company. The Father seeing by His own light the face of His own Son. The Son seeing by His own light the face of His own Father. Both seeing by their own light the personality of the Spirit. And Scripture testifies in many places that these three love one another deeply and eternally. If you've ever been in love with a friend or a lover or a child or an animal you know that love displaces you. It displaces you and it puts the beloved into the center of your life. And in order to do that, you need to learn how to sacrifice what? Yourself. For the sake of love. Over and over and over and over. And so love, even when there's no wrongdoing, even when there's no sin, requires sacrifice. To love, you must sacrifice yourself for the sake of the other. And if what we're saying about God is true, then the Father and the Son and the Spirit have spent an eternity displacing themselves, sacrificing themselves for the sake of the beloved. The German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, he said, God is love. Love makes a person capable of suffering. And love's capacity for suffering is fulfilled in the self-giving and the self-sacrifice of a lover. Self-sacrifice is God's very nature and essence. Three persons at an eternal table making an eternal sacrifice to put the other first is what we mean when we say God is love. And so the man who comes to Jesus at night may be a man darkened by ignorance, guilt, and sin. He may be a man who by virtue of his own darkness is out of fellowship with God. But it's very important, everyone in the room, to hear this. Nicodemus's sin requires nothing new from a God who has eternal practice at displacing himself in order to love others. The Trinitarian God has spent an eternity sharpening the skills of love, the capacity of love, the sacrifices of love, the displacing of self for the sake of the other, and he simply goes to work 
because it's always daytime for him. And from this passage, we see the lengths to which all three are willing to displace themselves for this man. The lengths of which all three are willing to sit at the side and put him in the middle. The father displaces himself and proves his love for Nicodemus, even in spite of his darkness, by giving up the most precious thing he had, his only son. The son displaces himself, demonstrating his love for Nicodemus, healing him through a radical act of sacrificial love, and the spirit displaces himself and puts Nicodemus front and center and goes to work causing him to be born again, not as a man trapped in darkness, incapable of seeing the face of God or the face of his fellow man, but as one living fully in the light. Once more to look upon each other's face and not only to look into, but to live for. Sin and darkness and shame and guilt are not great obstacles to the practiced love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, what shall we make of this? If you've called upon the name of Jesus, he promised that he would send the Spirit and cause you to be born again. What does it look like? I think it looks like joining the table. Jesus said, flesh begets flesh, and we have learned, haven't we? We have become intimately familiar with what human beings can produce this year. With our rabid social divisions. Quickness to anger and fight. Inability to see people who disagree. As humans, not even friends. But the spirit begets the spirit. A family likeness coming to the table and learning at the table with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit what it means to displace yourself for the sake of someone else. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, gets a challenging discourse on what it means to be born again. But how does the story of Nicodemus end, do you know? In the daytime. Amidst great danger, so much danger, all the disciples have packed up and left town. But Nicodemus in the daylight takes down the body of Jesus. Did you know that? In the daylight, takes down the body of Jesus. In the daylight, binds the body of Jesus. In the daylight, buries the Lord Jesus. In the daylight, displaces himself for the sake of someone else. This is what it looks like to be born again. Fear and anger and division, jealousy, are not a good family resemblance to the God we proclaim today. Love and vulnerability, even at the point of being victimized, hurt and killed, this is the family likeness. Because love gives you a capacity to suffer. This is what the new birth looks like. For those of you who've called upon the name of Jesus. What about those of you who are 
interested in the Lord Jesus, but aren't quite sure what to make of it. I'll close with this. Recently, I had a conversation with a college student. And we had an hour together. And it took this student 50 minutes to get to the point of which she came to see me. And I don't know if any of you like to visit with Pete and Patrick, but you do the same thing. You have an hour, and you'll waste 50 minutes on nothing. And then you will throw the bomb of what you really came to talk to them about, and then you'll leave. (laughs) This is what she wanted to talk about. But she only left us 10 minutes. Even though she had a 3.7 GPA, even though she was a full scholarship student athlete, even though she was beautiful, even though she was a cadet with rank, even though she had all these lovely qualities, she confessed at the 50-minute mark, I don't think I'm worthy to receive love from anyone. Well, what I was able to say to her was, if what I believe is true about God and the world you and I live in, Jesus is walking, talking, living, historic proof that you are worthy of love. Because our reading told us today what? God so loved the world, he sent his son. And what I want to say if you're here exploring Jesus is he is well practiced at his craft. And so is his Father. And so are the Spirit. We all know how fragile human relationships are. We know how easy a sense of grievance can pull us back into ourselves and protect ourselves so that we won't love. What does the psalmist say? Mother and father might forsake you. I've seen it happen. Comma, what's the rest of the psalm? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because we're proclaiming a God well-practiced at setting himself aside for the sake of love. The scripture says that if you believe that, you will not perish. Don't let your mind race to the worst of what the word means. But there's no reason for you to languish in darkness past the next 60 seconds. You can come into the light of the world. He loves you and sees you. What he sees is no obstacle to the invitation I'm making right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for demonstrating the deep love of not just yourself, but of the Father and the Spirit. And we pray that we could mature into the new birth, grow in our family likeness. But also ask for those who are curious that they might come to see you. And they could learn to walk in the light as you do. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.